Grab a seat. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. And if you would like to, you can grab your notes out of your handout and you'll see that we are continuing a series. This is actually a series on prayer. So we've been talking about prayer. We've been looking at it from a few different angles. It's called Moving Mountains. And, and so there is a verse. We, we had it up on the screen this morning during our worship, but it's where we sort of start with all of this because Jesus is trying to teach us something about what our prayer life can be like. What what our faith and our prayer and how this practice looks like, what we can go after. So there's a verse on the top of your outline. It's from Matthew 17, 20. Jesus is teaching his disciples. This is what he says. I tell you the truth. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. And so as you take a look at that verse, you sort of ponder what that uh, means and how we apply it. Jesus was, he was seeking to be encouraging because a mustard seed is a very, very small seed. And so he's not talking about this massive, massive thing. He's saying, no, just even this, the tiniest seed, right? The faith, like this tiny, tiny seed, then you can have uh, uh, this expectation, right? That there is this effectiveness in the world, that, that there is a, a, there's gonna be some practical ramifications of our faith in this world. And there's some convictions that we build underneath our faith sort of based on this passage. So if you, if you take a look at the passage, a few things that it says uh, is, number one, we believe in a God who can do big things. So the idea is when we look at a, a problem, we look at a molehill, we see a mountain. But when God looks at a mountain, no matter how big it is, all he sees is a molehill, right? He made them all. No mountain is big or daunting or intimidating to God. So we believe in a God who can do big things. And when it comes to moving mountains, there's no mountain that God can't move. And so this is another one of those underpinnings that we just build into the conviction of our faith. We do recognize that there are some mountains God wants to move now through us. There are some mountains that God will move later. We recognize that there are some mountains God wants to move internally, and then there are some mountains that God wants to move in eternity. And so we just recognize sort of all of that. All of that is underpinning of our faith, underpinning of how we approach a verse like this. And last week I shared that there was a ready-made object lesson in the first century. That Jesus and all of his disciples and everyone, by the way, who lived in Jerusalem, Judea, would have known this. I shared, you can actually go there today. King Herod the Great, he had a palace and a fortress built on the top of a mountain. But before he had the palace and fortress built, he actually built the mountain. And how he did that is he moved a, a surrounding hillside to become a mountain that he would build this palace on. It's the highest mountain peak in the Judean desert, and it's man-made, right? So when Jesus is talking about moving a mountain, he could have just pointed to this thing. You know, it's just right outside of Jerusalem. Hey, look, it, it's happened, right? Now, here's what I want you to know. How did that mountain get moved? One wheelbarrow at a time. And I, I bring this up because I want you to see that sometimes the way that God wants us to go after moving mountains is one wheelbarrow at a time. And, and the, the, the value that we want to understand, the value that Jesus wants us to recognize and to own is the value of persistence. So if you're filling in the blanks, the first one is that persistence is a core value of our faith. 
It's a core value. It's a key concept. It's something that needs to be at the very center of how it is that we go after this. Now, I just want to back up and by way of introduction say this is already true. Like we already recognize this in so many areas of our life. For example, we recognize the value persistence in parenting. We just know this, that, that we have to show up again and again and again. This morning, we had so many babies dedicated to the Lord this morning in our 920 service. It was beautiful. Picture of the kingdom of God. These tiny little cute babies in their beautiful dresses, and one kid even had suspenders. It was awesome. And, and they're just little lumps of humans, you know, like, it, but it's suspenders, of course. So, uh, but here's the thing. Do you think that these parents have to instruct their child once to brush their teeth. And then done, right? Just once. I, uh, I told them to brush their teeth. I never had to tell them again. No, every time you would like your child to brush their teeth, you will instruct your child to brush their teeth. Like it happens, it's almost a one-to-one ratio uh, until they're like, I don't know, tw- 22. Like it's just, it's amazing how that works. So persistence is a core value in parenting. How about in marriage? Yeah, you got to keep showing up. You got to keep coming. You got to keep engaging. You got to keep wooing. You got to keep caring. Because if you don't have persistence in marriage, it ceases to be a marriage. How about anything that is worth producing, anything that is worth accomplishing? We know that anything of value will require persistence, it will require dedication, steadfastness. That we know. And think about any great narrative you've ever read, like, like the walk from Hobbiton to Mordor. That was not just a, like a short little jaunt. I mean, that was, a, that was an epic adventure, but that's why it took us on an adventure, right? You, you understand that, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> if, you read, if you watch Shawshank Redemption, for example, one of the great movies about freedom and life and hope, that Andy escaped Shawshank by tunneling a little bit every day for years. Bill and Ted's excellent adventure did just happen overnight. Actually, it literally happened overnight, but it's a dumb movie, so it doesn't count. (laughs) The point is that you you never give up, right? You never say die. You, You don't just throw a little effort at something and then call it good. No, you show up and you show up again and you keep showing up and you go after something consistently because persistence, we recognize, is a core value. This last Tuesday, I had the privilege of carpooling the pole vault team. My son Caleb's on the pole vault team at at the local high school. And so we carpooled him down to the indoor gym in Seattle. And I'd never been to a pole vault practice. I don't know if you have. But I was curious to see what they did. And so I actually was working on my message. I had my laptop on my lap, and I was kind of working on this message. And I got a chance to watch pole vault practice. And what they do at pole vault practice is pole vault. (laughs) Again and again and again and again. It's just like clockwork. They, They vault. The coach is just there by the pit. They vault. The coach gives them a couple words. They go back, vault. The coach says a couple more things. They vault. The coach encourages them. They vault. There's a video going all the time. So at times the coach will review the video and show them what they're doing. And, and, but it's just again and again and again and again. They practice their sport by doing their sport. 
And it was just so incredible to me, just this picture of persistence and persistence. Now, here's the thing. This is true. You might not believe it, but it's true. It is true that if we all grabbed poles, we could all go pole vault right now. And it's also true, we would stink at it, right? We would be horrible at it. But again, the next truth, if there was a good coach and if you were willing to be coached, the coach could help you and and you could consistently practice and the coach could guide you and encourage you and you could become a little better. But nobody would expect to grab a pole and instantly be an expert at it. I mean, none of us here would. Maybe a few watching online, but you know, they're, they're arrogant. So I mean, no, I'm just kidding. But the idea, the idea is like, of course we understand persistence is required. My buddy James likes to say this. He says that the most important work often happens in the two-minute montage. Think about any movie you've ever seen. Maybe just consider Rocky for a moment. You watch an hour and a half of the drama surrounding this boxing match. But the most important work goes on in that two-minute montage when Eye of the Tiger is playing. Okay? That's when the real work toward victory happens. And yet we somehow, like in our arrogance, we expect to skip over all that hard work. We just expect to arrive at the success, at the destination. Angela Duckworth has a book out called Grit, and she does this incredible, it's it's study after study after study, and if you don't know her work, she actually works with the Seahawks, she's written this, it's a best-selling book, she's got a TED Talk, but it's all about this concept of grit, and what she has proven again and again and again is it's not necessarily the most intelligent, it's not necessarily the most entrepreneurial, the most passionate, The key quality that again and again and again show up when it comes to victory or success, wherever, whether it's athleticism or academics or business, it's stick-to-itiveness. It is a refusal to give up. It is a perseverance. And I want to tell you, inherently, you get this, and so do I. Inherently, we understand, of course, that's what's required in athletics. Of course, that's what's required in parenting. Of course, that's what's required in accomplishing anything worth accomplishing. Why don't we think it's required in faith? Why don't we think it's required in prayer? Why, why do we just imagine that, that, no, when it comes to faith, it should just be one, heave up a grappling hook and then done. So, so we recognize anything in this life that's worth accomplishing requires persistence. And here's what Jesus wants us to know. He wants us to know, no, your faith needs to have this element as well. Approach prayer like this. Take a look at this. This is in Luke 18.1. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. You might want to circle those last two concepts. Because I love it. It doesn't happen all that often, but I love it when you're reading the Bible and then it tells you why you're reading the Bible. Jesus is teaching. He wants to communicate something. What does he want to communicate? Always pray and never give up. That's why he's telling this story. So so here we have the purpose clearly outlined for us. This is what we're to learn from this. Always pray and never give up. He keeps going. 
There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice for this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Okay, so look at that passage you see. Here is a judge who is a selfish mess, right? He just doesn't care. He's got judge tenure. He's there for the rest of his life. Uh, you know, the widow comes and she has a legitimate complaint. She's, she's legitimately beseeching the judge for justice. And so she comes to him. Now, he, he doesn't care about justice. He cares about a bribe. He cares about his own ease or his own betterment or his own whatever reputation. I, I don't know what the judge cares about, but he doesn't care about justice. And here she comes again, and she comes again, and again. She's beseeching him again, and again. She's making her argument again, and again, taking his court time again, and again. And then finally, he's like, look, I don't care about God. I don't care about justice. I don't care about people, and I sure don't care about this widow. But she's wearing me out, right? So I'm going to bless her, and I'm gonna rule in her favor, and I'm gonna give her what she is requesting. Now, here's what Jesus says. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the son of man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Now, last line sounds like a little non sequitur, but it actually should read something like, will he find persistent faith on earth? Will he find steadfast faith on earth? Will he find people who have stick-to-itiveness in their faith and in their prayer life? Is that the kind of faith he's going to find when he returns? So, so this whole thing is designed, why? So that we will always pray, so that we will never give up, right? That's why he's teaching this. But there are a few points that we can draw from it as well. The, the, the first point there, if you're filling in the blanks, Jesus isn't comparing God to an unjust judge. He's contrasting them. He's not comparing, right? So, that, so obviously, it's not like, hey, so the Lord is like this unjust judge. He'll finally give it to you if you keep on, you know, wearing him out. If you'll just keep on bugging him, he'll, that, like, that's not what it is. He's actually d doing a full contrast. So this is not a lesson about the heart of God, although if it is, you need to know that the heart of God is on, directly opposite of this judge. The judge doesn't care. God cares immensely. The, the, the judge is about his own personal best. God actually cares about your best. Right? So, so there's this massive distance. In fact, this judge, he's uncaring, he's selfish, he's in it for himself. Here's God. God is a good, good father. God is so much greater than this judge. He's so great, he's good. And he's kind. And he's gracious. And he wants the very best for his children. So, so this is about a contrast, right? There's this incredible gulf between our good, good father who loves and cares for us and this unjust judge. However... You also need to realize that God has ruled in our favor already. That God has blessed us 
with his, with his favor already. And all you need to do is look at the cross. All you need to do is remember that Jesus himself, he's the one who said, no, because of me, because of the cross, you already are blessed. You already are favored. You've all, it's already been ruled in your favor. Right? And that's this incredible grace that just pours over our lives, this, this favor that calls us children of God so that we can actually come to the Lord of the universe and say, Abba, Daddy, Father. Right? That's because of the cross. Again, a picture of the goodness of God. So, so Jesus is contrasting this unjust judge and God. They're not the same. They're, they're polar opposites. Next point. As a good father, God will give you what you need. As a good father, he will give you what you need. On earth, good fathers, good mothers, by the way, we always, I always want to make sure that we're talking about these, these parental realities, right? So mother and father can be in the same conversation. A good parent will always try to provide what their children need. Now, by the same token, you need to realize that a good parent, so many of you here are parents, I'm a parent, a good parent will not give their children everything they think they want. Are you, are you tracking with me? Like, if I gave my kids everything they think they want, it would actually be an indication I was a bad parent. There's a, that old Willy Wonka movie. Maybe, maybe you remember that. Uh, it's, I, I'm just, it's off the top of my head, so I can't think of her name. Baronka, Baruka, what's her name? Baruka Salt, right. And she turns into a blueberry. Is that the one who turns into a blueberry? No. She gets, shot, she gets sucked down a, a golden egg shoot. Yeah. Make a note. Uh, that'll stick with you. You guys look like, oh yeah, I don't want to be Baruka Salt sucked down an egg shoot. That's not what you want. No, but you see, the, the idea of her dad just gave her everything, right? Everything she wanted, everything she demanded. She, she, was the, she was the shrill commander in her household. Her dad just did everything. That, that's not good parenting. And so that's not what we're talking about. But a good parent, a good father, good mother, looks at the needs of their children and tries to lovingly provide for their needs. Tries to lovingly help them grow into their potential. Tries to lovingly think, hey, where is the, where's the greatest like the trajectory of their life, the trajectory of their impact, the trajectory of their intelligence and their growth and their contribution, and how can I help them move toward that end? And that's your good father, your good heavenly father. That's what he's doing in your life and in mine. Now, I want you to understand that he cares about meeting your needs. He wants to meet your needs. And so I have two verses on your outline. The Apostle Paul is teaching them both. Same chapter of Philippians, chapter 4. He says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about some things. Pray about most things. You're with me. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. I want you to circle the phrase, tell God what you need. Tell God what you need. Now, he knows what you need, but this is an exercise for you. That you are aware of what your needs are in the world. That you're paying attention to what it is that's happening around you, what's happening spiritually within you, what it is that you're facing in terms of trials. That you don't go through your life with your eyes half closed, with the blinders on. It's not just all entertainment for you. It's not just shallow living. But you're actually aware of what it is that you need. And you're to pray about everything. You're to bring all this to the Lord. 
You're to lift your burdens to him. You're to lift your thanksgiving to him. You're, you're to lift the, the concerns you have, you, the people in your life. Like You're to bring all of this to the Lord. Tell him what you need. So circle that phrase. All right, now look at the next one. And this same God who takes care of me, the apostle Paul says, God take, the same God's been taking care of me, he will supply all your needs. Circle that phrase too. Supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So now you've got a, a circled phrase, tell God what you need. And then you've got the next circled phrase, he will supply all your needs. Draw a little arrow between those two. We're to present our requests and our petitions, our prayers. We're to tell God what we need. God delights in supplying all we need. Okay? God is a good God, and yet he wants us to be persistent. Persistent in our faith, persistent in our praying, persistent in our trusting that he will supply all our needs because, the next fill-in, because the point is this. Jesus wants us to embrace persistence. Jesus wants us to embrace persistence. The comparison is not between the heart of God and the heart of an unjust judge. The comparison is between a widow who won't give up and you and I who shouldn't give up. That's the comparison, right? That's what he's trying to connect. Jesus wants us to see, look, this widow, she kept coming before an unjust judge who she knew was selfish, who she knew was evil, who she knew didn't care about her cause. She knew these things, and yet she kept coming again and again and again. How much more you should come before your heavenly Father, who is good, who does love you, who wants to meet all of your needs. How much more should we come into his presence again and again and again? She didn't give up. And if she didn't give up, how come we are so quick to give up when we're coming in the presence of our loving and our gracious and our kind and our compassionate Heavenly Father? Right? He's saying, no, persistence needs to be a part of this equation. In another place, in Matthew 7, he's teaching on prayer. He says this. He says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Now, some of your translations, if you look it up, it says, ask and you will receive. But if you unpack the Greek, what, what the, the Greek tense is, it's not just ask once, it's keep on asking. And so that's why this translation spells it out. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You know, when I look at that passage, what I see is this, that there is a promise attached to persistence. There's a promise attached to persistence. That we are to ask, and we're to ask again, and we're to keep on asking, and ultimately everyone who asks receives. And we're to seek, and we're to keep on seeking, and we're to seek again and again and again, and ultimately everyone who seeks finds. And we're to knock, and we're to keep on knocking, and those who knock, the door will be opened. I was having lunch with a friend of mine named Daniel this week. Daniel's a leader at Overlake, and great, great, his great ministry. It's so fun to see what God's doing through him. And he was telling me about this season that he's in right now. He had left a job in sort of corporate America, and he's, he's a part of a startup company right now. 
And as such, he doesn't have an office, just his home office. He's officing out of his home. And so he and his wife, and his wife's fully on board, but they, they have this arrangement that because a startup requires so much just intentional effort, and, and you know, if you've ever been sort of the only one cracking the whip, you know, if, if Daniel doesn't crack the whip, it, nothing happens. If, if Daniel doesn't do it, nothing's getting done. Like, if Daniel doesn't make the phone call, the phone call doesn't happen. So, he, you know, it's just all that. I've got to focus. I've got to make this thing work. His wife understands that. And so they have an arrangement. The arrangement is, when I'm in my office and the door's closed, I'm at work, right? So, so, so please, like, let's, let's make that work time. And then when the doors open or if I come out of the, the uh, office, then it's fair game. Then it's, can, you know, we can have lunch together. We can have a cup of tea. Uh, then your honeydew list you can give to me. Like, like when the doors open, we can inter- interact. But when it's closed, we've got to just kind of make this parameter. And by the way, they have a glass door in the office so she can actually see in and make sure he's actually at work and not... <laughs> doing angry birds or whatever it is, you know. And so that's the arrangement. It's been working. It's actually worked for a year. It's been really, really beautiful. Daniel also has a 15-month-old daughter who's unaware of the arrangement. Right? She, didn't, she didn't understand sort of the arrangement that mom and dad had come to. And so Daniel was telling me that she has found that, that she comes to the door of his office, the glass door, and she just presses her face against it. And she starts hitting with her little hand, and she says, Daddy, 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 Daddy. The first time she did this, Daniel just kept his back to the door and tried to work on his computer a little bit. Daddy, Daddy. His heart just melted inside of his chest. Daddy, Daddy. So he turns around, he opens the door, he just scoops her up in his arms, right? Just at this moment. And, and he, he, he did that. He, he made that crucial mistake. <laughs> because now she owns him, right? <laughs> now she knows he can hear me. He can see me. If I ask, he will answer, right? And, but I want you to see what a beautiful picture of the heart of our loving Heavenly Father. Right? That's his heart. He wants to be with us. He wants to scoop us up. He, he wants that relationship with us. So, so ask and keep asking and seek and keep seeking and knock and keep knocking because your father, you have a good, good father, and he wants to be with you. And when it comes to our prayer life, you know, sometimes, I'm going to share a few stories. Sometimes what we see is, is prayer requires persistence, and it takes a long time and a lot of knocking and a lot of seeking and a lot of asking, and then you see doors open. And sometimes God just answers right away. And so these are some true stories coming out of Overlake. These are just Overlake men and women who are walking with the Lord. And story, many of you might know some of these stories. But Pat, you know, Pastor Pat, my friend, he he was talking about how he can kind of see God's hand over all of these areas of his life that, that he's lifted to God in prayer. And he's seen God kind of move in different ways. But one area that he and his wife had to keep coming back to again and again and again in persistence and steadfastness for years was around starting a family. It just didn't happen for him. And it didn't happen in the first, you, you know how it goes. If you're trying to plan like starting a family, you, you, you try, you're thinking, okay, hey, maybe it'll take a couple months. And then a couple months stretches into a year. Oh, maybe it'll take a little bit longer. You know, and then a year stretches into two and three and four. And they were persistent in their prayer. They're praying. They were persistent in seeking God in this. And, and then many of you know, God finally answered their prayer. The sailor was born. It's just been a beautiful, beautiful thing. 
but it took persistence. My friend Jenny, uh, she, in an earlier season of her life, she was told that the, the specific passion she had, the specific skill set that she has, could never be used in a church setting. That was the counsel that she received. And, and yet she just was heartbroken before the Lord. She cried out to God. She said, God, but I want to serve you. And yet this is what I'm good at and this is what I'm passionate about. And is there any way that you could open up a place within a church that I could serve you by using my passion, my skill set? God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go if you will open a door so I can serve you by doing this thing that you've called me to. And so God, after a season of prayer and persistence, God opened a door. He, he, there was an invite for her to come to a church in Oklahoma. And then she said, God, I, I know I said anywhere. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, through, uh, again, God's faithfulness over her life, now she's serving with us here, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, I, I, I love sort of telling these stories of, of bragging on God, you know, um, my friend Michael, some of you remember Michael, had shared his testimony with us before. But this young man had been diagnosed stage four cancer. And he, he was, for sure, he was on the way out. And him and his folks, they, they just made this commitment to come in before the Lord in prayer. And they just sought the Lord's face and they just prayed for healing and they, they believed healing and they prayed this moving mountains verse over their life. And, and there just was a steadfast season of seeking God, seeking God, asking for healing. And then literally in a day, God healed him. Took all of his cancer away. He's cancer-free. He's here worshiping with us today. It's been 10 years this summer since God healed him. Yeah, it's, it's just an amazing thing. It's been an, it's been an amazing thing. Here, here's, this is a story from a buddy of mine named Will. Will... It, this was in an earlier season of his life, and he was studying abroad. He was heading over, studying in a, this a big city in Germany. He had just arrived. His host family had kind of picked him up, and so he's, he's been taken to this host home. And as many of you know who travel over that direction, you, you get jet lag, and so you're just not sleeping when everyone else is sleeping. And so Will's up, and he thinks, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take a walk. I'm going to see the surrounding city. You know, I just want to see the neighborhoods and, and the downtown and all that stuff. So he leaves the host home. He starts walking. He's walking, and it's just beautiful architecture. It's just, you know, he's falling in love with the city. And he's walking and walking and walking. And, and then all of a sudden, he kind of looks around, and he realizes, oh, my, I am hopelessly lost. I have no idea where I am. And then he starts doing the inventory, which maybe some of you have done. He's thinking, you know what? I actually, I don't even have a cell phone number. I don't, I don't know my host home's last name. I don't have an address. Like he had left everything in the host home. He would brought nothing with him. And now he's just hopelessly lost, doesn't speak German. Like, what am I going to do? I, I have, I, even if somebody could help me and spoke English, I wouldn't know how to ask them to help me. You know, he's just, oh. So he just starts praying. He's freaking out. Oh, you know, Lord, please help me. I, 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 this is, it's a mess I've made. I, I'm the one who causes, but please, would you please help me? And he's just crying out to God. A stray dog trots up to Will and pauses and just looks at him. And Will looks at this dog, and then the dog turns around and starts trotting away. And Will's going, God? Do you want me to follow this dog? 
And then part of his brain's thinking, well, I can't get more lost. So maybe this is how God's answering my prayer. And so he starts walking after this dog, and the dog leads him straight to his host home. Now let me give a disclaimer. That's a true story. Let me give a disclaimer. The disclaimer is this. The next time you're lost, use Google Maps. Don't look for a stray dog. Like that, that's not the point of this story. And in fact, I want to tell you, the point of none of these stories is that God will always answer your prayers exactly like you've just heard God answer prayers. Because God delights in answering our prayers uniquely and specifically. God hates creating formulas so that we develop ritual and religion around. God delights in creating a relationship with us where we actually look at him answering our prayers because he loves us and he's intimately involved in the things that are happening in our lives. So that really is the point of this. And if you've heard me say this, in any weeks, you know, it's always the point we come back to is that prayer is designed for us to draw close to the Lord. Right? That's the vehicle through which we grow in our intimacy with him. That's what prayer is all about. So brings us to the last point here. What you need, what I need most is him. He's what we need the most. It's, it's the Lord himself. It's his presence in our life. That's what we deeply yearn for. That's what we hope for. That's what we desire. Even if we can't articulate it, that is the truth. And I want to go to another teaching on prayer. This is Jesus again. He's, he actually, he shares the same teaching. It's, it's recorded in, in Luke and in Matthew. And I'll reference a little bit of the, the Matthew passage. It's just slightly different, and there's a nuance here. But let me, let me just jump into this. Jesus is saying, you fathers, again, he's talking to parents, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Well, maybe if you're filming it for America's Funniest Home Video. But other than that, that's not very funny, is it? I, I think it's hilarious. I would love, actually, to pull this off and, with my son Caleb, but I, I can't figure out how. If, you children, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, and in Matthew it says, give good gifts to those who ask him? How much more will your father give good gifts to those who ask him? So it's, it's a great sort of, you know, kind of an even parallel here. You're, you know how to give good gifts. Your heavenly father knows how to give really good gifts, right? So there's th that, that connection there. But in Luke, it says, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him, right? So if you know how to give good gifts, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give really good gifts and the best good gift there is? is him. It's himself. And that's what we yearn for, and that's what the Lord delights in providing. The, the, the idea is that we would be drawn into intimacy with him, that we would know him and know that he's present in our lives, experience his presence as we go through the things of our day, the things in our week, the relationships that we enjoy, that, that God is a part of all of these things, and he's a part we, like we acknowledge that he's a part and we recognize that he's a part and we experience that God's a part of all of these things. In week one, we started this series and I talked about how prayer changes us. 
And if for some reason you missed that message, please go back. It's, it's online right now. But there is a reality that secular studies have been done that show when, when, with brain scans that people who commit to consistent prayer, their brain structure actually changes. And it changes in such a way that it is easy to see via the brain scans. It develops the prefrontal cortex in such a way that the people who commit to prayer end up becoming more compassionate human beings. And they understand the compassionate father more deeply. All of that's observable because of the development of the brain structure. It changes over a six-week period. Now, I would suggest to you today that there's a different way that we are changed by prayer. And the different way we are changed by prayer is that we understand how God is involving us in his kingdom work. We understand how God is involving us in the miraculous that he is at work in all the time. That we get a glimpse of, oh, I get to be a part of what it is that God is up to in this world. And there is a, a really cool thing. It doesn't sound cool, but it, it is cool that with prayer, one of, the, one of the beautiful growth benefits is that I actually realize I'm not in control of the circumstances around me. I'm not in control of the choices that other people make. I'm not in control of this fallen, crazy, broken world. And so I can lift all of this up to God and I can recognize that I'm not in control. But then as I do that through prayer, I also see how God is inviting me to be a participant with him in all of this. And I don't know, you know, I don't know if you've ever thought about prayer as a loop, but I've been thinking more and more about prayer as a loop. And what I mean by that is, I believe that the most effective prayers we can pray are the prayers that God himself prompts us to pray. Right? That, that when God prompts me to pray a certain way, I feel like God is, is, is saying, hey, pray this way. Pray for this person. Pray like this. That when, I, when I'm obedient to God, as he prompts me to pray, then I can see beautiful effectiveness of that prayer in this world. But it's a loop, right? Because who's the one who's instructed me to pray? God. God has instructed me to pray. To whom? God. Okay, so are you tracking with me? That's called a loop right there, all right? And so if God is the one, and by the way, that's true for all of us in the scripture, God's the one who commands us to pray. And God's commanding us to pray to who? To God. So there is this reality that prayer is a loop. It's a mystery. And yet there's a beautiful way that I get to recognize I'm participating with God. Do you know Jesus illustrates this perfectly? Not just once or twice. This is just his, this is how he operates in the world. But I'll give you one great example. Do you remember when Jesus had been teaching the, the crowds, the thousands and thousands? He'd been teaching for so long that the disciples were afraid that the crowds would like faint from hunger. And so the disciples said to Jesus, Jesus, you got to send these people home. Like send them to the surrounding villages so they can get something to eat. They're, they're starving to death. They're going to pass out. Like you got to yeah, let them go. Let, like, like you, great teaching. I really love your teaching, Lord, but, but let's, let's send them home now. And Jesus says to them what? You give them something to eat. Why did he do that? Because he was inviting the disciples into the miracle. 
Because then the disciples got to be a proactive part of what it is that Jesus was doing in the world. So the disciples would never, ever forget that they came to Jesus with a couple of loaves and some fish. And Jesus fed the thousands and thousands. And that's what he's inviting you and I into as well. We've got a couple of missionaries on the field. I love these, these two. It's, it, they're, they're a married couple, Brad and Pam. And they've served as missionaries for years and years in multiple settings. And they're in a place right now where mission, mission work's just hard. It's just really hard. And, and they're there because they know God's called them there. But it's really a, a tough, tough thing. And when they first arrived, they, they thought that it would be easier to develop relationships. They thought that it would be easier to start conversations that would lead into ministry. And it just was really hard. There's just a lot of uh, hesitation. And so they really felt like God was prompting them to pray about having meals with people. They really wanted to just have some meals with people. And their thought process was, if we can have meals with them, then we can develop friendships, and that'll open up opportunities to care and, and to minister. And so they wanted to start having meals. Unfortunately, nobody responded to their invitation. Nobody opened the door for them to have meals with. And, and that went on, and, and so they just began to pray about it. They began to pray and pray. They prayed for one month, no meals. Two months, no meals. Three months, no meals. Four months, not a single meal. But in the fifth month, suddenly the grocer down the street invited them over to have tea. And then the neighbor two doors down invited them over, their whole family over, for a family meal. And then it happened again and again and again. And finally, you know, they just see that their calendar is now full with having meals and tea and, and experiencing life with people and who do you think they give all of the glory to? God. They, they just see it. They just see it as the hand of God. And yet they understand that even as they see the hand of God who's opening the opportunity for all these meals, they also recognize that they're now being invited into participation in God's kingdom work. And friends, that's true for you and that's true for me. And that's kind of what this whole thing is all about. Please never forget that drawing closer to God is the real goal of all prayer. Drawing closer to God is the real goal of all prayer. And this is why the Apostle Paul tells us that we need to pray, some of your translations say, without ceasing. Pray continually. I put it on your outline here, 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And often, as Jesus followers, we think we need to be better at prayer when really we just need to pray and to keep on praying and to persist in prayer. I found a great quote from Henry Nouwen this week, and it says, he says, although it is important and even indispensable for our spiritual lives to set apart time for God and God alone, and he's talking about having a quiet time, which I absolutely recommend and I employ as well. So I, I carve aside time in the mornings to have time for God and God alone. He said, that's important. But he says, our prayer life can only become unceasing prayer when all of our thoughts, beautiful or ugly, high or low, proud or shameful, sorrowful or joyful, can be thought in the presence of the one who dwells in us and surrounds us. By trying to do this, our unceasing thinking is converted into unceasing prayer moving us from a self-centered monologue to a God-centered dialogue. Friends, this is about the conversion of our thoughts 
to prayers. Right? This is about changing our, our self-talk, right? I, I talk to myself. I don't know if you're like, you, like me at all, but I talk to myself all day long. I talk to myself all day long. I, I thought it was because I really like to talk to the most intelligent person in the room. <laughs> but then I realized that's not it at all. I'm nowhere near the most intelligent person. I realized that I like to talk to the person who agrees with everything I say. So that's why we like to talk to ourselves, because we already agree. Oh, yeah, no, you're, you're right. Not only, you're, you're not right, you're brilliant. That's a great idea, <laughs> right? Like, just all day long. So converting self-talk into God talk, con- con- converting my thoughts into prayers. Paul is talking about praying without ceasing. It's a mindfulness that's required, isn't it? It's a persistence that's required. But friends, we can do it. And I promise you, as we do it, we'll be the ones that are changed. We'll be changed from the inside out. We'll be changed. Our brains will change. Our, the things that we see, God's hand in the world will change. And what will change is we'll see that we are being invited to be participants of his work in this world that he went to the cross for. You'll notice on the bottom of your outline that there's a weekly challenge. And, and, and t- this week's challenge, it's a challenge about recognizing the persistent prayer that you pray. So what is it that is a deep, deep yearning of your heart? What is it that you recognize you've come to the Lord with again and again and again? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe you're a parent, so you're, you're bringing a child to the Lord. Or maybe you're a child, you're bringing your parent to the Lord or a sibling. Or maybe it's your spouse, it's your marriage. So you're lifting that to the Lord Again and again. Maybe there's some trial, something you're facing and it's been daunting. It's been like a mountain for you. And you just recognize you're lifting this to the Lord again and again. Let's continue to persist this week, recognizing we're bringing this deep yearning before the Lord. And as we do that, recognize that he is meeting us primarily with himself. That he is a good father. We're going to keep asking. We're going to keep seeking. We're going to keep knocking, trusting that in his good time and wisdom, that door will be open. Okay? Why don't don't you bow your heads with me and close your eyes, and let's ask the Lord for help in all this. I actually said in the first service, I meant to say already today, this is one of those messages, friends, I'm preaching to myself first, and you just get to listen to, because this is what I want to be about. This is what I want to be participant in. And Lord Jesus, as we come to you now, We recognize that if there is any model of persistence, it's you. That you have been so persistent in your pursuit of our hearts. You have been so steadfast in how you have come after us with your love. In how you have called our names again and again and again. Your patience is overwhelming. Your kindness is is incredible. Lord, we are undone by the way that your grace has pursued us through the ages, that you have never given up on us, that your stick-to-itiveness when it comes to how much you want us in your family and in relationship with you, we are undone by it all, and we are so thankful for it. So thank you for giving us that example of persistence. Now, we ask for your help. We, we want to be persistent toward you, 
We want to be the one that comes in prayer again and again and again after you. That we do desire to be drawn closer in relationship with you, more intimate in relationship with you. That we want to be swept up in our Heavenly Father's arms, our Daddy's arms. So we just ask that you would show us what it looks like to continue to go after you in prayer. That we would be able to pray continually. That we would pray steadfastly. That we would pray persistently. And that we would desire in all of our prayers to be drawn closer to you. We pray it all in your precious name. Amen. Amen.